All right. If you, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn um, with me to, to Luke chapter 10. Or scroll, as most of you do. If we kept the lights off, I'm sure we'd get a glow, you know, right? Um, but um, we're, we're, we're spending time um, this spring in the Gospel of Luke. Not necessarily going verse by verse, verse through the entire book, but sequentially at least as we look at these different pictures and interactions that Jesus has. And then towards the end of the spring, we're going to spend some time in Acts and looking at the first sermons that, that we see about who Jesus is. And so as we start looking at that today, we find ourselves in, in Luke chapter 10. And, and really it's a, a pretty popular, popular story. We're going to be in verses 25 through 37, and, and we're going to be looking at Jesus and a Bible teacher. And, and the, the parable, you'll, most of you will know if you've been in church, is the Good Samaritan. And, and so, but what I want you to do is, when we read it in just a second, when I read it and we follow along, I, w- I want you to try to think of it in a different light, to, to think of it differently than you have, if you know the story. If, you, if you've never heard the story, then, then we want to be like you. We want to approach it new today so that we can not just jump to love people well, because that's the easy application, right? Just love people, right? Because that's what happens in, in the parables. And, and so often, we find ourselves drawn to that conclusion, just love people well. And then we kind of carry on and, and, okay, whatever, however that works out. And so today, I want us to, to kind of focus a little different. And to do that, I want, I want you to ask yourself, even while I read the passage just a second, ask yourself, how, how do you approach Jesus, when you, when you come to Jesus, how, how do you approach him? Because when we look at this story, it's an interaction between Jesus and the Bible teacher. It's not just the parable. It, the parable is set within the context of an interaction. And so I want us to look at that from that perspective. And so if you will follow along, we're going to read verse 25, um, stopping in verse 37 of Luke chapter 10. And then in verse 25, Luke writes, And behold, the lawyer stood up, to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written, this is Jesus speaking, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go you go and do likewise. If you will pray with me for a second and just ask the, the Spirit to guide us through our time today. Father God, we, 
we come today to this story that, that, that so many of us might know so well. God, we just pray that, that today your spirit would, would impact us, God, that you would reveal your truth to us. God, that we wouldn't try to, to change it or rationalize aspects of it, God, but we would allow your truth to impact us as we live our lives. God, we just thank you that you've given us truth, God, that we can see and read your words to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? Right? It's, it's one of those things, it's one of those stories that, that really captivates your heart. And I think that's why people are so into it. You remember. It's one of those stories that you just remember. One, because you get so frustrated. If you're like me, you get mad at the priest and Levi, right? You're like, are you kidding me? They saw him. They didn't just pass by. They, they switched the sides, right? It, it, they, they didn't even want to be close to him. And it's so frustrating. And it's, it's obvious what they should do. Especially if we look at that they're a priest and a Levite, they should do that, and it's so frustrating that they don't, right? It's, here's the right thing to do, and they just choose not to do it. And then we get so excited when the Samaritan redeems our, our faith in humanity, right? It's like, finally, someone, there is good people, right? And, and so you look at this story, and you see that it's a, it's a good story. It's a, a fundamentally, it's just, it invites you in. It, it, you can relate to that. You can see how maybe if you've been hurting at a time and you, you wish that someone would have done that and you had people that neglected to take care of you. Or that you had people that, that knew you were hurting and went another way on purpose. And so we can all relate to this. And maybe you've been the person that overlooked someone else that was hurting. That, that, that all of a sudden when you read this, it's, you remember it because it's kind of calling you out on that, Right? And so as we look at this idea of, of Jesus in a Bible seat, there's so many elements to it. And we just kind of want to take it kind of as a story. Just kinda look, let's look at the context. Let's look at what happens. And first we'll see that there's, there's an intentional approach to, to, to this man approaching Jesus. It's intentional. He has a reason for approaching Jesus the way he does. And then, then ultimately we see that Jesus understands that really the fundamental problem with this man is his heart as he approaches Jesus, and then ultimately there's this final response that really, if we, if we think about it and we're honest about it, not many of us actually remember or understand this, what actually happens at the end of the story or what doesn't happen at the end of the story might be a better way to see it. So first, let's see the, the intentional response. And, and so what you see in this, in, in verse 25, it's pretty easy. You don't, have to, you don't have to really search hard. He said, behold, a lawyer, a teacher, this is someone that would have been a good student of the law, not lawyer in the terms that we think lawyer, but he's a teacher of the law, and so he's been a student. Now he's teaching. He knows this, and he goes what? He shows up to what? Put him to the test. He's going to test Jesus, whether it's a test to prove his own intellect or whether it's a test to, to try to trick Jesus and to get him to mess up. That, that typically tends to be the reactions that people go for with Jesus. If you read the New Testament, they, they, they typically try to just trip him, and, and, and it never really works well. Because he's Jesus, right? He switches it on him and you don't even realize. And he does the same to us. But there's this intentional thing. He's trying to prove Jesus wrong or that he is as intelligent as he thinks he is. And so have you ever had a conversation like that? That, that you had this experience that happened and someone's asking you about it and then right at the beginning of the conversation you realize they really don't want 
what I thought they did, right? Like, maybe something happened at work. I always think about work. That something happened, and they come and ask you, oh, what happened? And you're like, you're talking the story, and then you realize, wait a second, they, their, their motives aren't pure in this. Like, they're trying to find something out. Like, did you respond the way they've heard, or, or how's it going? But that's what's happening to Jesus here. That, that we, have this, we have this devoted teacher, this teacher of the law, this Bible teacher, if you will, coming to Jesus to put him to the test. He's going to say, that's his motive. That's his intentional approach to Jesus. There wasn't another reason. And so we forget that often when we look at this. We just go to the parable of the Good Samaritan. We forget that this interchange happened because someone had an intentional approach to Jesus and trying to test him, put him to the test. And we can't lose that context when we look at what happens in this story. And, and he asks a good question, right? What is he, what is he telling him? In verse 29, says, or he says, teacher, what? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? The end of verse 25 there. It's a good question, right? It's, it's a question really, if we're, we're honest, all of us want to know. You might, you might have found yourself looking through this. It's not there, by the way. He doesn't answer the question. Okay, just so you know, don't, don't look down at the end. It's not there. Right? And, and, and we'll get to that later of, of how it's interesting that, that it's not there. But he, he, what do I do to inherit eternal life? It's a, it's a good, honest question, isn't it? It's like, that's what you should know. How, how is salvation found is essentially what he's saying. It's not the wrong question, but it's his motives that, that, that draw it into light. And so what we need to see this is what happens is Jesus answers question with a question. And you've got to see the frustration of this guy, right? Like, you've got to be like, okay, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, what is, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he, like, turns it back on him. And that, what's funny is that it, at some points that's exactly what he wants. And, and sometimes that's what we want. We want to prove who we are. We want to prove that we know everything. And so we like that question, what's written in the law, because we can just regurgitate it if you've been in church. Because that's what he does, Right? Look, look, how does he answer? He says, and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And if that answer sounds familiar, it's because that's exactly the two greatest commandments that Jesus answered in Matthew. Quoted the same Old Testament passages. So his answer's not wrong. So what, what's going on here? What do we need to, to see in that? It's, it's because when we look at this, he's putting Jesus to the test. He's putting himself in an elevated position. He's approaching Jesus in this way that, that he knows all the answers, yet he misses it. And that's exactly where I found myself growing up. I grew up in church. I knew the right answers. I knew the right. You could ask me a question. I knew the answers because I'd been force-fed that. I'd been forced to memorize passages that I didn't understand, but I could say them. And that's exactly what happens in this. This intentional approach that this man has, he comes, but he doesn't realize that the approach reveals the problem. See, a lot of you, you might have been in church, if not all of your church, most of your life. And so we approach God as someone who knows everything. We open the truth, and we know the answers. We read the story or the parable of the Good Samaritan, and we know what happens. We, kn we know the point of it. At least we think we do. And so what we have to understand in this is that the way we approach the Word reveals who we are. And, and it reveals something about us. And maybe you haven't been in church 
Maybe you haven't been, and then you approach Scripture, you approach Jesus the way culture does, and it's just to question everything, and not to question in a positive way, to question in a negative way. Because there are questions you can ask of the text. We need to dive into it and understand that, but our approach should be that to understand who we are in light of who Jesus is. The way we approach Jesus reveals far more about our intentions than we think it does, right? The way we open our Bible every day, the way we, our mindset when we open that, it reveals so much more than we think it does. At least it does for me. When I go back and I look at it, I'm like, man, everything that I've done has been out of selfish desires, right? That you look at it and you want to say, and that's why I always want us to, to understand that, that when we approach Scripture, there's an intentional way to do it. And it's not like this man did. It's not to test it, to, tr- to prove that we're intelligent. Because it doesn't matter if we can memorize all these things. If we miss the meaning, then it doesn't matter. All it does is reveal the heart problem, and that's the, the thing that Jesus focuses on. If you look, look at verse 28. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly, do this, and you will live. Right? So he acknowledges the heart problem. You see that, that last part, do this and you will live. Since he, Jesus realized that, that there's a test here, there's happening, he answered correctly, but then he adds that last part at verse 28. And then sometimes we're like, why did he add that? Like, it could have been easy just to answer it, right? But he says, do this and live. And what he does there is he realizes and he brings to light the heart problem of this guy. That he says, okay, you know the answers, so now go do it. And then you can understand that Jesus, he gets it, he understands it by how the guy responds. Look at verse 28. This is, this, is, this is the most, to me, I can see just an arrogant response out of this, right? Look at verse 20, 29. But he, but he, the teacher, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, then who's my neighbor? Right? Isn't that, isn't that what people do when they're trying to prove that they're right? And they, you kind of got them, and then all of a sudden they're like, well, then who's my neighbor? Right? You might have been asked that very same thing about this very same story. Love your neighbors. Well, who's my neighbor, right? You might have asked that of the text, right? Like, you, know, you don't want to go do something. You're like, well, that's not my neighbor. You didn't say who it was, right? Have you ever done that? I, have, I know I'm not alone, right? I know that, if, I know that if, I'm not the only one that's had that thought of, man, I should love my neighbors. We didn't really say, so today it's this group of people, right? When that situation's over, well, maybe I'll include them. I'm gonna sew, I'm gonna, maybe it's a little neater situation, right? But that's what, that's what he does. He gets to the heart problem of this person. He understands it. Jesus understands. And you can see the arrogance in verses 28 and 29. You can see that response. Well, then who's my neighbor? It's like, prove it. What am I supposed to do? If I'm correct, what am I supposed to do? And that's, a, that's a scary thing to ask God, right? Okay, then who's my neighbor? Because we should know that. And, and that's when we get... The, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells this amazing story because that's what Jesus does, right? He, he tells really good stories. He, he tells stories that, that it, there, there's so many levels of meaning that often we forget and we don't understand them even upon first reading. We might have known it our entire life and we look at it and we're like, there's so much going on here. It's, there's so much more to this whole thing that's happening. And so what Jesus does is he appeals to the man's heart by telling this story. This, this parable, he's appealing to the heart problem that this man has. Because he starts asking questions to do this. So he first, he appeals to him by asking questions, right? The entire passage, it's Jesus asking questions, going back, and then he tells a story that really ends up 
ending in a question, right? At the end of the story, he says, which one of these, verse 36, which one of these do you think proved to be the neighbor? He's getting to the man's heart. He's appealing to the man's heart condition or the heart problem by asking questions. And that's why anytime that we talk about getting a community and knowing people, we always focus on that you need to ask questions. Because you can't understand someone's heart until you ask questions about that person. Until you really get to know them, until you ask questions and stop talking about ourselves and, and ask questions about them, that's when we know. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He asks him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Everything that he does. So then do this and you'll live. Like, and then which one's the neighbor? All of those are, are centered at appealing to the man's heart. It's getting to the depth of his heart problem. And secondly, he, he appeals to the man's heart by pointing out the actions of others, right? That's the point of the story. He's showing the actions or inaction of other people. And that's, that's getting to the heart of this man because you can't look at this. You can't look at this and see and not realize what he's doing. Because in this culture, the, the bad guy's the good guy and the good guy's the bad guy. Right? You see how that's switched. And so what he does in that is he's appealing to the man's heart by pointing to the action or inaction of the other. The priest and the Levite, that's who the man would have said. If he would have just said, who's your neighbor? If he would have questioned that, the guy would have, would have listed those. If he said, okay, a priest, Levite, and a Samaritan walking down the road, right? Who's the neighbor? He'd have said priest and Levite, right? He wouldn't have mentioned the Samaritan because they were hated. But yet he's the good guy. Right? And so he appeals to the man's heart by showing the actions of people that he can't even acknowledge. And that's what we do as well. When we start pointing people to the gospel, we point to the actions of others, Christ. We appeal to people's hearts by pointing them to the actions of Christ, not to our actions, but to his. And finally, he appeals to this man's heart by engaging the man. That's verse 36. That's that question. He's engaging him. He doesn't just tell him a story and then just leave. He invests some more time. He says, which of these is the neighbor? And what, what's amazing about that is Jesus forces him to answer in a way that he doesn't want to answer. Because you can't read that story and say that anyone but the Samaritans is the neighbor, right? And so it, he engages him. He appeals to his heart and forces him to answer the only way that's possible. He has to answer that way. Now, there's not another way to answer than we find in verse 37, the one who showed him mercy. And there's no other way. It's pretty clear. And so what he does in this, what Jesus does in this, is he reveals the heart condition of the person by appealing to it through asking questions, showing the action and inaction of others, and actually engaging him to respond within that, to operate within that. And that's revealing the heart problem of everything. It's showing that he has a heart problem. And see, the story does the same thing to us. When you look at this and we're honest and we approach it and we just, there's no intentions outside of just let us shape our lives around the truth of God, it reveals our idols. You can't hide from this story because you can replace it with anything. It has a way of revealing our idols. And so often what we do is we try to, to bend God's word and fin it fit it into our own heart's comfort, right? That we, that we understand where we understand our prejudices and we try to bend the truth to where we can kind of operate outside of that a little bit, but really we're just going to go in this fine line and don't really do anything about it. I saw uh, a few months ago online, I saw someone had, uh, another pastor had, had tweeted that 
that we should look at the, the Good Samaritan as not a Samaritan, but as a Muslim. That's the magnitude in our culture that this would be for them. That the, 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 the pastor and the Christian walked by and a Muslim helped, right? And that's not saying that we worship the same God. That's his putting the point of this is exactly what God and what Jesus is doing is he's pulling out these heart idols to where our own prejudice are clouding our judgment when it comes to how we're supposed to live our lives. Because if you look at this story, let's say that this isn't a parable, that this actually happened, then we can go to another level and think, did the Samaritan, would he have really wanted to help that person? Not really, because we can turn that around, right? The Samaritan was hated. Why would he want to help that person? Right? That's one less person I have to deal with hating me, so I could have kept walking. And we see the, we see the fact that when we start living for the gospel and we start living through that power, we understand that's going to affect our life. It's going to be uncomfortable to follow what God is calling us to. And then we realize then that our actions reveal our heart conditions. That how we live, I say that over and over again, and partly because I need to remind myself over and over again that my actions reveal so much more than my words ever will. And I, I have to remember that as a parent, that, that what I actually do, Keaton and Kelby are going to remember far more than the words that I teach them. And, and we have to understand that, that the culture wants to see true Christianity live, but we so often don't want to go there because we're not ready to get rid of those heart idols, these heart problems that we have. It's, we're not ready for that. And that's when we get to this final response that, that we don't necessarily, necessarily always think about when we look at this story. Because the sad part of it is the guy never gets it, right? Do you see that? He doesn't, he doesn't get it. He didn't get it. Look at verse 37. He said, the one who showed him mercy. That was his answer. And you're like, well, wait a second. That's the right answer. Yes and no. The right answer would have been the Samaritan. If he would have got it, he would have been willing to say the Samaritan, right? But he doesn't. Why? Because he still can't bring himself to mention who the person was. He just said the one that showed him mercy. Well, that could have been anyone in the story. So that if he would have understood it, he would have said the Samaritan because then the heart condition would have been changing. His final response would have been different. When Jesus said, who's the one that was his neighbor? He would have said the Samaritan that showed him mercy. But he doesn't. And that's the sad part of the story is that he, he doesn't understand what Jesus just did. And see, so the the thing about this is the whole story is built up into who's my neighbor, right? That was his response. Well, then who's my neighbor? He tells the story. And what's so interesting about it is he wouldn't have been able to say the Samaritan, but even further, the Samaritan would have never been considered his neighbor. Right? Who's his neighbor? Samaritan's not coming up on the list. Like he could have thought of other people. Maybe it's the whole nation. And see, that's what we try to do. Well, maybe it's these people that we live around. Or maybe it's just all Christian. Or maybe we do all these things, but it's never the people that we don't want included, right? We don't include that group. They're kind of thrown out there, right? We acknowledge that they're there, but they're not our neighbor. And that's exactly what this guy does. He wouldn't have been seen as a neighbor. But what we need to understand is we don't get a free pass when our own prejudices cloud our gospel application in our lives. We, we don't get that. 
We don't get to claim that, that everyone's fair and everyone's equal, everyone has the same value, and then live our life with prejudices that allow us to be incapable of even speaking as though those people exist. That's just what we see here. It's, it's knowing the right answers and still getting the question wrong. When I was in college, I'm not the best math person. I'm finding more and more that it's really just because I was lazy and wouldn't study. But I like to say I just don't know math well. So, um, right? But, but I, was, I was taking algebra for like the, the second time, maybe, at that school. But anyways, so um, we won't go. But it was Dr. Alms. Dr. Alms, he was a crazy, brilliant math guy. It's just really, he was a really cool person. That just happened to be a math professor. And so, um, and we were taking a test, and we got our test back, and I had actually, I would passed the test, but I realized we were, you know, you always compare with, oh, what grade did you get? And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, wait a second, I got that question right. I'm like, better give me my points. It's not often that I earn points on a math test myself, so you better, and so I go, and he's like, but you did the problem wrong. And I'm like, but I got the answer right. And he's like, but there's no way you got that answer. You just got lucky. Like, you wrote the wrong number. So even in my success, I was a failure. Right? And I'm like, you've got to be kidding. But, and, he, and he counted wrong. He wouldn't budge. He's like, no, you didn't do that right. You just happened to, he didn't say that I cheated. I just wrote down the wrong answer for the math that I did. It happened to be the right answer. And he said, no, you, it's still wrong. Right? I'm like, maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that's actually succeeded and failed at the exact same thing. But I did. But that's exactly what this guy does, isn't it? He has the right answer. You can't say that he doesn't have the right answer because he answered the exact same way Jesus did. And if Jesus is always the answer, then his answers are always right. And this is what this guy said, right? Love the Lord with all your, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He had the right answer. But he had it for the wrong reasons. And that doesn't make it right. And, and we need to understand this response here is amazing. It's amazing, this final response, because what doesn't happen? And what doesn't happen is Jesus never answers his question. You see that? Do you get that? It just answers. And then Luke goes to Martha and Mary. So did he, we don't know what happened. But, but clearly that's wrong, because why wouldn't Jesus tell him the gospel? Right? Why wouldn't he answer that question? It's an important question. But what we need to understand in that is that sometimes people aren't ready to hear the gospel proclamation. Sometimes people aren't ready to hear that because if they hear that, it will just push them further away. Because would he, if Jesus said, yes, you have to submit your life and do all that, would he have responded? Probably not. And that's a, that's a scary thing to think, Right? Because we need to understand that most of us that understand the gospel message realize that we're sinners, right? It starts with that, that you're a sinner in need of salvation. And for people that haven't understood that or, or not ready to hear that, it just pushes them further away. Because they come up with all these ways that people have told them that before, but have lived the exact same way they did. Because we don't understand often, just as this person wouldn't have that, that our failures to realize that are the very thing that should drive us to Jesus instead of push us away. Then that's what we need to understand. And sometimes we need to, to realize that, that 
our biggest gospel proclamation comes out of loving people. See, that's where it comes back in. Instead of just force-feeding them a gospel proclamation that you've memorized, but you don't understand the magnitude of it anyways. Or you'd be living in relationship with them. That's when we get to where people are projects, when we just say, we're supposed to proclaim the gospel. Yes. But if we're not willing to, to even say the name of those people, they're never going to hear that message. Right? This guy, he can't even say the Samaritan. So how would he been able to understand that the Samaritan was his neighbor? He can't even name him. Professor Jerome Barr, he says that in a, in a commentary on this, he said that because the man wasn't ready to hear it. That's why Jesus didn't tell him the gospel. He wasn't ready to hear it. I, I think he's right in that, that if Jesus would have force-fed him the gospel at that point, he probably would have dismissed it and gone away. We don't know if he ever came back. We would like to hope and pray that he thought about it and he came back and he, there was this other interchange that, that Luke doesn't give us. But what happens in our lives when we realize that, that it's not about our effort in proclaiming the gospel, right? What happens then? Are you okay with that? Are, are you okay to, to not focus on your efforts in saving people and just let God do that? Because we have a, a history of, of Christianity in our, in our country that thinks it's all about what you do. It makes it into this moralistic checklist of what to do. We have to realize it's not about our effort. It has nothing to do with our effort. He uses us, but it's not our effort. It's his. And in that same line, Jerome Barr, I, I read this quote, and I just sat there, and he says, that, Do we trust the Lord enough to send someone away without telling the person how to inherit eternal life? Think about that. Do you, do you trust God enough to where you know even a family member is not a believer and to not proclaim it knowing that you trust God enough that you can just build a relationship and then if God calls that person, he does. Because that to, I, I read that over and over thinking, surely he mis, mistyped that. Like the editors missed that one, right? But it's so true, right? Do you trust God enough? that you can send someone away without, because that's what Jesus did. Right? He, he didn't tell him the gospel. He gave him everything that he needed to figure it out, but he didn't actually tell him. So do we trust that? Do we, do we develop relationships enough to where we ask the right questions and enough questions to discern the condition of the person's heart before we even just try to give them the gospel? Because that might take time. It might take years before you can actually truly proclaim the gospel where they'll understand it and accept it. Are you okay doing that and trusting that God's going to do his part? Because that's what we need to look at in this story. It's not just loving people. It's understanding them. It's getting to their heart problem. Because when we do that, it becomes real, right? It becomes real and it's personable. And then it's not just this abstract idea that, that people have tried to just tell them that they need to be better people about, that it truly is a way to inherit eternal life. Why? Not because of anything that they did, but because of what he did. It means so much more that way. And so when we look at this interaction between Jesus and a Bible teacher, we need to understand that, that sometimes just telling the gospel actually pushes people further away. Because then they're going to take your message and they're going to apply it to your life. And if your life doesn't match your, match your message and they're just random people that you don't really want to interact with, 
they're never going to hear that message. So we should flip that. We should understand that, that people are unlovable and they're selfish and they're greedy and they're frustrating and then realize that we are too. And we just live in relationship with people and eventually we ask questions and we'll know where they set up idols instead of worshiping Jesus and that's when we can proclaim the gospel. Here's how Jesus is the true and better Samaritan that helps us when we should have been helped. That, that does that. That's when we apply that and that's when it becomes so much more meaningful, right? And that's what I pray that we are here at Watershed. We're just people that are real, that realize that we're, that we're messed up just like everyone else. But we, we understand who Jesus is. And when we do that, and we allow him to do his part, we get to sit back and watch this amazing display of God's power and transformation that cannot be explained. And when we see that, it just empowers you to do it over and over again because we trust him enough that, that it's not about our efforts, but it's about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Let's pray.